Welcome to the Accelerators Podcast. We're bringing you oncology news and views with guests from all over the field. The discussions on this show are not medical advice, and they represent our own opinions and not those of our employers. The Accelerators is part of the Photon Media family of podcasts. You can check out all of our shows at photonmedia.org. Hey everyone, this is Simul Parikh, radiation oncologist and medical director at Lake Huron Medical Center, one of the co-hosts of the Accelerators podcast. And this is Matt Spraker, I'm radiation oncologist in Denver, Colorado, and uh, also a, a co-host of the Accelerators podcast. We're here. We're here. We're here. One of our last episodes of the year, and we're going to talk about a recent article in the Red Journal. It's called Trends in Utilization and Medicare Spending on Short-Course Radiotherapy for Breast and Prostate Cancer, an episode-based analysis from 2015 to 2019. Um, can I go over the article and kind of review it uh, as if it was a manuscript? Um, I just want to start out to say, if something costs a fixed price and you do less of it, from the foundations of basic mathematics, it's going to cost less to do less of something. And I'm surprised that this was the primary outcome of this article to show that something that you do less of would cost the same per unit actually costs less. I, I'm just I'm just flabbergasted that this was the goal of this study. Um, but the basics of it, essentially, they looked at all breast and prostate cases over a course of four or five years from 2015 to 2019. Essentially, they looked at how many patients got shorter courses of treatment for breast and prostate versus longer courses of treatment um, of all Medicare. Uh, these are all Medicare patients. And they found that it costed less to do shorter regimens. They had a couple other interesting findings uh, that we'll get into, but they saw that patients treated at hospital centers uh, were more likely to receive short course treatment than those at freestanding sites. Um, they saw that older patients were more likely to receive shorter courses of treatment. And essentially, their conclusion was that shorter course RT resulted in lower costs um, and that it was more common at hospital-affiliated sites. The conclusion in the body of the paper also essentially says this is why Rocker or the Ratio Oncology uh, Payment Reform Program is a good idea. And I'm going to get into the paper a little bit. Uh, Matt, did you get a chance to read the whole thing? Yeah, so I have to admit, I sort of did like a like a three quarter read um, because this I, I just saw this last night. It's not something that that I was aware of kind of before yesterday. Um, and what caught my eye actually was the tweet about it. So, you know, just some of the comments um, they mentioned about work and how this keeps people out of work you know medicare patients generally don't work because they're on medicare now they're older than 65 i mean some of them work uh, but if you look at the age group and the bins of patients when you look at prostate cancer patients like the vast majority of them are well past working age and you know it's it's a point and it's a reasonable point to bring up that some patients might have interference with work but these are medicare patients and i'm surprised they made a big deal about that they talk, about, they talk about the risk of non-completion of treatment with longer courses. If you know, there's some real-world data that might show that, but if you look at the studies, there's no difference in outcomes 
between short course and long course uh, for prostate or breast, um, where like a large number of patients or even a small number of patients is not completing treatment. Um, you know, this it's this is anecdote, but I've not seen any difference um, between hypofrac breast and long course bre- uh, breast. Although I would say there's a few patients that get a brisk skin reaction, we have to hold them. I mean, hypofrac for breast is not just cheaper, it's actually better. And so, you know, th- th- this is a little bit different because these are not equivalent treatments. Hypofractionation is cheaper, faster, better, um, and there's no reason to not use it. Prostate's a little bit different. Um, then the, the wording says that there's similar, but acceptable rates of toxicity for prostate cancer. Now, I mean, that's, that's very cleverly worded language. Uh, acceptable is different, uh, for different people and plainly stated, it's probably a little bit more toxic to do hypofractionation. Most of us in the community have seen the difference. It's not enough to make me not recommend it. I don't do conventional fractionation. I tell them that this is going to be a little bit more toxic, but you're going to benefit by being at the clinic four weeks less. Um, you know, they, they again talk about uh, associated with increased um, uh, treatment completion, acceptable patient con- uh, satisfaction. I, I, I see this word acceptable twice in the same paragraph. I'm not sure when acceptable became what we were aiming for. Maybe it is. I mean, I, I can see that in um socialized medical systems were acceptable as enough i i think you know american population does not always desire acceptable uh they want the best or exceptional yeah um, yeah there are kind of two things i wanted to add really quick for this because this start this actually popped out at me when i saw it and read the paper um i first of all i totally agree with you about, about breast um and i think what's interesting is is that i see a lot of writing about breast implementation of hypofractionation and then IMRT, the other topic. We won't talk too much about that to keep it focused, but, um, you know, my entire practice is hypofractionated or, or I guess, ultra hypofractionated now for breasts. And um, the patients where we're doing longer course are typically node positive patients where we're doing comprehensive radiation. And I'm not, you know, I'm in a hospital-based community practice, which I guess is the ones that are hypofractionating more in these um, in this study, but this is something that to me uh, doesn't seem like there's a ton of of pressure. And in fact, I have more and more people asking if we can go shorter on even comprehensive because they hear that shorter is better in breast. So that is fine. And I and I feel like my point though is that I don't feel like this paper does a good job of like examining the reasons why there might be some delay in there because there's really delay of uptake in both settings. It's not that different as you pointed out on Twitter already. Prostate was was nuts to me because that is not at all how I structure my discussions. I don't know how you are, but I do offer SBRT. Um, I always offer it as an option that's shorter, that does have more toxicity, just what a lot of people feel is reasonable to take on a little more toxicity. I agree, but I feel like this entire discussion, what really bothers me is that we never recognize in the United States that like, you know, when you're talking about our clinics versus internationally, or even in different areas of the United States, like everyone has different priorities, right? Like the, the, I, I would not switch my whole clinic to prostate SBRT simply to shorten fractionation because that wouldn't help a lot of people in my clinic. And some of them wouldn't want that. 
Um, occasionally, we even talk about long course because there's the least number of, of or the least amount of taxes here, the least risk. And so if I, had a, if I had a patient coming in and they told me right up front, my main priority is to minimize any chance of toxicity, it would be crazy to give them SBRT, right? You'd kind of be going against their wishes. So I find this to be very disingenuous. I don't feel like people frame this clinically the way that it's presented in this paper. That was like one of my biggest takeaways. Yeah, you know? I mean, they're, they're two different disease sites. I mean, and, and their hypofrac matters differently to both of them. And I'm guessing and, you they're, know, picked, they're most common, right? That's probably why they picked these two, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I, I'm sure that's why. And then it, it's reasonable to look at these two sites, but make the acknowledgement. I mean, there's going to be choices. We're talking about a country where, you know, patients, for example, go to a large medical center in Texas and receive protons for DCIS over the course of 10 fractions BID. So, yeah. I mean, if the doctors at large academic medical centers are recommending this and, you know, writing medical necessity notes saying that there's life-threatening issues with photons, then, you know, we, we can't really put this on like individual providers. Uh, this is an institutional issue, these types of uh, these types of questions. I've worked um, at a large network for, you know, a network site for MD Anderson. And, you know, we're, we're kind of told what to do uh, for certain things as far as fractionation from the top. It's not me as a doctor making that decision all the time. We have guidelines, we have recommendations, and we have things that are peer reviewed. So, you know, I, I think when more and more of uh, these large centers are having networks across the country. I mean, they're kind of dictating the care, and it's not necessarily people picking what to do. Um, so if uh, treatments were equal, Matt, uh, as far as cure and toxicity, what reason would an American physician getting paid fee-for-service choose a longer longer one for? <laughs> it's an on-the-nose question. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's that's exactly it, right? I think that it's an incentive. I mean, if it, it's more expensive, right? So it'll pay the clinic more. Um, and it's more, it's more ever use, it's more money. I mean, they, right. they, they're just skating around that whole thing. It's more money. It's not all the other stuff they're saying. If you're saying two things are equal, in fact, breast is better, and people are still choosing the long course, and we're in a fee-for-service system, that's it. I mean, just put a freaking dollar sign in there. Like That's, that's the reason. Uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I don't know why that's glossed over. It's well, so it is in a way, because I think if you like, this is one thing that I think people need to be hammering home when we're talking about these topics is that this idea that like this decision affects the individual physician that's treating is is really far fetched for most clinics. You could even argue maybe all doctors with the with the extreme minority might maybe it affects them directly. Um, but for me, for example, um, you, you know, my contract is salary based with RVU like bonus threshold. And what that means is that it affects me maybe indirectly, but that means like I'd have to individually think about this for every patient and try to calculate all year how it's impacting me. Um, especially like in my clinic, breast and prostate are not my my number one indications that I'm treating. Nobody thinks like that. Everyone I talk to, they read the data. And in the American system, it is a system of choice, right? I mean, we I haven't talked about this yet on any podcast, but I've been reading a lot of um, kind of focus group studies that are done by places like Deloitte, where they're looking at health, quote, consumers. They're now calling them health consumers, not patients. We are a patient choice system, right? So when I have someone that comes in, Sometimes they come in because they saw the largest group in town that treats prostate here. They didn't offer them anything less than 20 treatments. 
who happens to, by the way, not be a freestanding group, but they didn't offer anything less than 20 treatments. And they heard through the grapevine that we do SBRT. And so they came to talk to me about that. Of course, we offer and talk about SBRT in that setting. But it's like it's it's so unusual that I'm like trying to game or decide my treatment regimens that I'm recommending because of how it impacts even my clinic, which I care about more than my own you know, than my own pocket. I'd rather have staff, right, than more money to myself. So I found it to be very disingenuous. I don't think people really practice this way for the most part, or if they do, it's a minority. And, you know, and, and we have some other points in here, things that were left out that are also minority points that are worth talking about, you know, like yeah. proton therapy, for example. We'll get there. Yeah. So um, I'm going to get to the methods and materials. So um, these are all Medicare patients, pure Medicare. So there is no prior off in this population. When there's no prior auth, doctors kind of do whatever they want. Um, and you can see the differences in proportions of patients getting longer and shorter courses. When you have no policing, um, the rates are going to be higher uh, for conventional fractionation. And pure Medicare patients are much more likely to get longer courses of treatment. Uh, so, you know, this is not reflective of the majority American population because most patients are not pure Medicare. Most of them are commercial or advantage. Um, then we have a couple other things. There's Medicaid, Medicaid programs, Medicaid HMOs, and things like that are pretty restrictive. So this so can population. I, can I ask you real quick? Sorry to interrupt you, but in your experience, yeah. just working in these types of roles, like, do you feel like prior authorization is a major lever in this country that's pushing people into shorter fractionations? Because I would not have guessed that actually. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I want to get into that a little bit later. I'm going to save it because we, you know, I, I work for Prior Auth Company and we kind of have some data internally um, <laughs> that is pretty uh, revealing. Um, so they kind of talk about um, how they break up uh, short course and long course. And this is interesting. So for breast, they said like up to 20 is considered short course. Now, then they do like, then, it, the, the thing with this, if you're if you're a clinician and if you've seen enough cases, there are a ton of people in America doing 16 fractions plus five. And that's 21 fractions. So in those in with the long course is wrong. That's just simply incorrect. Um, there's people that do 22 or 23 you can see. And you think well, that's kind of weird and it's off, uh, um, not seemingly standard. But if you look at the guidelines, 15 to 16 to the breast and four to five to the tumor uh, cavity. So 21 is possible. So there's a lot of people getting 21. It's kind of a common community thing. And so maybe freestanding centers uh, are doing 21 a lot. Uh, there's some academic centers that do this as well. Um, <laughs> they bend uh, 10 fractions for prostate as SBRT, but that's contradictory to the Medicare definition of SBRT. It, it is not SBRT if it's more than five fractions. So just know that's not good. Um, moderate was fine. It was like 20 to 30 or something like that, 20 to 30 fractions. Um, but this binning, they made it very clear that they wanted to do zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, et cetera. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, that Twitter personality, five UTR or Michael Bolton as he's known now to analyze statistically uh, what that means. But I know arbitrarily binning uh, is not statistically sound. And that's kind of an odd, odd choice they made. Um, now, protons. They excluded protons. Uh, I work in Vara, as I said a few times already. Uh, U of F, for example, will 
only submit 44 fractions for protons. And most of the most of the centers doing prostate protons are doing 44 fractions. That's what I'd ask for when I was getting proton therapy with, for prostate. Yeah, yeah. You want the lowest possible toxicity. It's still going to be worse than IMRT, but, you know, uh, <laughs> that's fine. And yeah. and so, like, you're, you're taking out the most conventional fractionation and taking it out of the hospital bin because all these proton centers are hospitals. Almost all of them are in a hospital, not freestanding. And that's very misleading and unfortunate that they did that because that would that skews it in the opposite direction. I call BS on that. Um, I know it's not a large percentage, but numbers matter and accuracy matters. They also left out brachytherapy. Um, I got a couple of friends out there in the community that are doing uh, essentially like traveling brachytherapy uh, on the West Coast. Some are doing it out this way and they do LDR. Um, To take LDR out of the equation is, again, misleading. Academic centers don't do much LDR. They do HDR. HDR builds better. LDR is the single cheapest monotherapy that we have, not including active surveillance. I'm not going to call that a modality. LDR brachytherapy is the cheapest uh, effective prostate cancer treatment we have. This is going to be done at community centers, at freestanding centers, at ambulatory centers. And to leave that out, again, uh, is misleading. And, uh, you know, I, I would address that. Like, I, in the conclusion, this is hardly mentioned. So anyway, that's some of the issues with the method materials. When we get into the results section, um, you know, they make a big point that, you know, um, percentage of patients that were 75 and older are more likely to get hypofract. The percentage difference, although statistically significant, was 34 versus 32%. Now, this is this issue of statistical significance versus clinical significance. Does that make a difference to you? I mean, I don't think of those two numbers as very different. And, uh, you know, age doesn't even seem to be a big deal, clearly, here for breasts, at least. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 would, I don't have a lot more to say about that. I think it's, I think that I was surprised at the magnitude of difference given the discussion and introduction that I read prior to the results. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, now we look at um, the difference between hospitals and freestanding. This is really interesting because there's like 140,000 cases for breast cancer in the study and about 115,000 of prostate. The literal exact fraction of patients getting hypofrac uh, was it, uh, in hospitals versus freestanding. It was exactly the same for both. It was like 71.89 versus 63.77% for both breast and prostate. I don't buy it. I, I think somebody made an error there. Uh, you can look at the table. I'll reference the table. We can reference the table later. Uh, we'll, we can screenshot that. I, I think there's an error there because that that the chances of that being the exact decimal down to two decimal points is it's remarkable. Um, one thing notable to show you that this is a Medicare population is for prostate, 22% of patients were getting short course and 77% were getting long course. That means four out of five patients are getting long course. We know having practiced, you know, for, you know, you've, you've practiced a while, I practiced a while, 80% of the patients in this country are not getting long course. Like that's just not happening. Uh, our internal data shows that that's not happening at Uncle Health. Um, I'm not really sure like if this is reflective. They should have referenced 
other patterns of care study, this just isn't um, that useful because there's no there's no policing. There's not, this, is, this is Medicare. You can do whatever you want. So almost 80 percent of patients are getting long course. Um, for prostate as well, older patients were more likely to get hypofract, but it wasn't by much. Again, it was like 45 percent versus 37 percent. Um, I wonder, are you, I'm not getting the same numbers as you here. I, I guess I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Cause I wonder if we can edit this out as well. Yeah. Do you have the table? Um, yeah. But so I, I, the table is really confusing to me and it's not well formatted. This is a preprint, I think. So I don't know that it's like, yeah, no, I went through the actual website for the table. Um, and the, um, and in the, res just in the paragraph, like what I get for percent. No, I'm going from the table. I was going from the table. From table one. Let me just pull it up. We can, we'll edit this out, but let me just. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you said that before too, and I wasn't sure. So for table. Oh, I get what you're saying now, by the way. Do you see it? I, I, I'm almost, this has to be a typo. It has to. There's no way this is the same. You're you're right though. So if you look at their reporting, like in the text, I, I still don't, the table, I just have to admit, table one for me is like, I can't understand it. It's like too it's hard for very, me. It's very it's, difficult to understand. It, yeah, and it's like it's like I don't really understand what they're. I mean, I guess it's a standard table one, but the way it's like formatted, it's just very difficult for me to be able to read it. Um, and I think the better take home message comes from the text, in my opinion, because um, I think the way they've broken out the the reporting in table one, it makes it challenging. But what you're specifically pointing to, and I would agree with you, this has to be a typo or some kind of seer error. They report for breast cancer, they say more likely to be treated at a hospital affiliated center. So this is a short course compared to long course. So for yeah. people getting short course, they said that, yeah, breast cancer patients who receive short course radiation were older, more likely to be diagnosed in later years, which makes sense, and then more likely to be treated at hospital affiliated. And they give percent so those numbers. 0.89% versus 63.77%. I go to the next paragraph for problem. Yep. Yep. And so for breast, that's what they say. For prostate, they literally say the same sentence because the findings are the same. My guess is they copied and pasted it and they didn't change the numbers. And so in the numbers, they say more likely to get treated at hospital affiliated center. This is for now prostate. And they say 71.89% versus 63.77. So you're exactly right. The, it's the same exact proportions. And my guess is they just copied and pasted the sentence because the findings are the same and they didn't change the numbers. Or they forgot to change that number because the other numbers in the sentence are actually different. That's probably what happened. Yes. Right. And again, but the, the point is like the, these are not being reviewed very well or edited. Very well. I mean, like that's a big deal. Like that that you're you're trying to make a point about freestanding centers versus hospital centers, and you don't have the numbers right. You know, you you have it wrong um, or cut and pasted or whatever. Now, if you look at if you go down to prostate in the table, eighty thousand patients got long course radiation. For some reason, 87,900 of them got EBRT, which is 3D, and 328 got IMRT. How in the world can you do 99.9% 3D? That's it's it's incorrect. Yeah. Can you go in? Okay. Yeah, well, my guess is that these are miscoded. It's probably worth it's probably worth pointing out to people like how this stuff actually works because I think people take these SEER Medicare databases at face value. Um, I'd have to try to find it, and I can't remember if it was this database or a different one. But there was actually a 
uh, like an announcement put out about concerns about the quality of the radiotherapy reporting in these databases. And I feel like it was SEER, but I don't know. And so please, somebody let us know if they remember that. But it was when I was a resident, like maybe in 2016 or something, there was like just a, a notice put out where you have to ask specially for this data because there's concerns about quality. That would be a data point where I would have serious concerns about the quality of the reporting. Um, do you do you actually know for your hospital how this stuff is reported or do you know if you report at all? Oh, we stopped our registry recently. So, so we We're have a registry and it's reported. Budget. It's quite, it's quite, um, uh, you know, delayed. Like I'm pretty sure our registry is reporting a few, a few quarters behind at least. And then in addition, um, you know, it's spot checked. Um, it's, it's mostly collated and, and, uh, you know, acquired by people who are not physicians they, they're great workers and they're trained and they do awesome work for us, but it's not like these cases are combed through, uh, you know, very carefully by oncologists and validated, right? So my guess is there's definitely some reporting problem, or I would at least hope that more than 328 people are getting IMRT for prostate cancer over this time period. That's what but the I problem is if the numbers are wrong, like how can you make a determination? You can't. Like you can't. Right. Like, okay. okay yeah. And you go to that next line 27 patients with prostate can cancer got long course radiation therapy with SBRT. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know if that's a boost. We didn't, we talked about this once before. I think that's a feasible way you could treat. You could do your pelvic plan and then an SBRT boost. Right. I mean, I, I can't because I don't think my insurance would ever approve that. But like, but you, you could in theory. Right. I mean, you, but it wouldn't be 99% of all. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. So, then you go to the next line for short course radiation that's coded as 10 or less fractions. It really should have been five or less fractions. Um, but they wanted the to do that. Bin. Yeah, they wanted to do the bin thing, the zero to 10 thing. So now what, what happened is that they accidentally must have included bone mets because we have 14,000 of these patients. 14,000 patients with short course radiation got EBRT, not IMRT or SBRT. Yeah. 7,400 got IMRT and 4,000 got SBRT. So less than half of the patients getting short course radiation are not getting 3D, I mean, not getting IMRT or SBRT. That doesn't make sense. That's bone mets. Yeah. They coded all bone mets. That 14,000 probably should be completely taken out because I don't think anybody in this country is doing 3D for short course radiation for yeah. prostate. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, the table, like I couldn't, I couldn't even get through all of the table. It's just, it was, it's just, it's very messy. And the way the numbers add up, it's like the columns don't add up properly. It's not a very good table. Someone should have taken a better look at that. And I, I don't know like who does that when there's a review or whatever, but there's a lot of mistakes in there that don't make sense. And I looked at it for three minutes. I'm not a reviewer, and I caught that. All right. Uh, let's get to the discussion. As I yes. was alluding to earlier, um, they don't mention the phrase prior authorization at all in this entire study. I work for Uncle Health. Um, we started in Florida and Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico was pretty much 99% um, done by us. And when you look at what happened with the introduction of prior auth in Puerto Rico, uh, conventional fractionation falls off a cliff, like like on-off switch because of the introduction of prior auth. Like we see it. And if you look at like your Medicare, as we're seeing here, 80% of patients get uh, long course uh, radiation for prostate, but that's not happening in the real world or commercial pairs. 80% are not getting conventional. Um, 
they're getting, you know, pushed uh, or nudged to do moderator SBRT. Um, so, you know, IRF is, it drives medical decision-making and that really bothers people. And I understand that it bothers me at times too. Uh, I, you know, I don't know the right answer. And like, this is not a debate about prior auth, but this is a huge driver of what changes practice in radiation oncology. We are one of the most affected fields. Uh, and we, we end up having to make decisions based on this because we can't do anything about it because our administrator will tell us, well, they said you you can only do this many fractions, so you have to do this many fractions. You can't just treat them anyway. It's not like other specialties. It's there's a lot involved. There's a lot of moving parts. So to not include this in the discussion at all, it's a huge oversight, <clears throat> and that plays a role because there's certain centers that don't have to deal with this as much. You know, it's very regional. Um, certain states have a lot of it. Certain states have HMO penetration. Certain states have capitation. Uh, and to ignore that completely and not talk about it, I'm not saying they should tease it all out, but it needs to be discussed. Like this, this paper is from really, you know, bright people. And they, you know, I've talked to them about this kind of stuff and uh, the awareness is there. So I'm not sure how it was left out of the discussion. So I think that the number one reason short course is increasing is not because of the publication of papers. Whelan was published in 2010 for breast. Uh, the UK trials for moderate hypofractionation were published before that, I think. Um, you know, they, they were a long time ago. We all knew about this. There's a, the Philadelphia, the Fox Chase study for 70 and 28 was a really long time ago as well. So, uh, you know, I, we've had the knowledge that we can do moderate hypofractionation. And until we had the nudge from the insurers and the third parties, it didn't change a whole lot. So, they bring up Rocker. There's a paragraph about this or a few sentences. And it's funny, they, they mentioned the $200 million over the course of a few years. I know this is an easy thing to say, and maybe it's cheap, but you can stop the PPS exemption and you could save way more money. You could also do site neutrality and pay everybody the same, or at least float within some sort of a band instead of certain sites getting four to five times, even if they're not PPS exempt. Places like UPenn get a massive markup. Um, and they should be considering this. I don't think we need to cut costs. Like that shouldn't be our primary thing in this field. We've bent the cost curve more than any other oncologic specialty. We're not only slowing down the curve, we're reducing costs per patient. So why are we the target? Why do we paint ourselves to be the target? Like we, we're asking for it by publishing stuff like this. So as I said at the beginning, like in what world did we think long course radiation therapy would be cheaper? Like, I could have just printed out our billing statements, emailed them to you, and you would say, oh, yeah, long course is more expensive than short course. This is not like high-level reasoning, and I'm not sure what the value of saying that is. This, that's obvious. It's as obvious as you can get in, in the economics of radiation oncology. There's a lot of other reasons people choose long course. Maybe they're closer to home, and they're not going to the academic center, and they say, you know what? I live two miles away. I want the least toxic treatment possible. But if you got to travel to Houston or Manhattan or LA or whatever, you don't have that time. You can't spend four weeks or six weeks there and you're going to aim for a shorter course. Um, and that's going to skew it in the direction of hospital centers and academic centers. Certificate of need changes a lot of things. Michigan's a certificate state. And so, you know, we, we are limited with how many centers we have in the state and the competition is very different. I think 
I hate certificate of needs, but as far as health outcomes and fractionation, it allows Michigan to do a better job with that. Um, we're not constantly worried about another Linux on the corner. We're not losing business all the time due to um, you know new facility. It's not easy for anyone to just open up a center. So that that's important to to consider. They left out protons. Uh, they left out the differential private insurance contract, Medicare con- Medicare Advantage contract differences. They didn't talk about the PBS exemption. They didn't talk about easy ease ease of access. But uh, but okay, freestanding centers are giving more treatments. Like, really, is this really what we want to you know how how we want to frame this discussion? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have a couple of things first. Uh, one thing I did want to point out just for just real quick, I think you make a good point about the um, binning, binning of the treatments and stuff. I would say that maybe five prime or whatever his name is now won't be so mad about it because really it's more like categorizing a supposedly continuous variable. I get the point there, but for this, I think it's a little, I mean, you have to, you have to define short course if you're going to write a paper about it. Right. So I think that that makes a little bit of sense, but I'm totally with you on like the weirdness of the discussion, because this struck me as really strange. And to add to what you said, like there were a lot of very obvious things that are left out. And these are things that are consistently less left out of all the discussions around policy. You know, I think that like proton therapy is a really good example. Um, I, I'm not sure I agree with like the reasons why it's left out of rocker and why we haven't really been discussing it. Um, there certainly is pricing data to discuss. I mean, people are being paid for proton therapy right now as we speak and record this show, right? So there, there's definitely a price there. But is it really more rare than like LDR brachytherapy or SBRT for prostate? Maybe not much, right? I mean, I think it's approaching the numbers where it really does need to be discussed and you can't just throw it away as a rare thing. It's not like neutron therapy where like a small handful of patients every year are getting it. It's also growing. If you look at, um, you know, uh, NAPT's releases and their media materials, they talk about how breast and prostate are the, still the two most common indications. So it's weird, right? I mean, it's like the number one way that protons is being used in the country. It's a very expensive modality that has cost concerns. It's it's conspicuously absent from this paper. Um, but, you know, as you know, I just got done doing an advocacy day and a whole podcast about freestanding and sites of service. And I could have yeah. sworn that, you know, this was mostly driven by um, uh, United Specialists for Patient Access, which is a, which is a lobby group that's kind of multi-specialty. Acros in there, but Astro was on those letters. Like they signed those letters arguing that freestanding practice is, is at risk. They're underpaid. They have all these problems. And then when I turn around and see the number one health policy person at Astro writing a paper about how freestanding is spending too much money, I mean, maybe I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I walked away from this thinking freestanding is a bad guy, right? That's like the overarching point. They say it at the yeah. end of the introduction, they want to look at practice patterns, and they talk about how they've been slower to uptake short course radiation therapy. So I'm just left wondering, like, what is the policy position of Astro about freestanding practices? Because they've told me two different things in the last three months in writing, you know? Yeah, well, they, no, I mean, actions speak louder than words. They, they, they don't give a shit. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's the truth. And it's harsh to say it, and it's a curse word, but... They don't care. They don't care. They're beholden to the big centers. They're beholden to academic centers, PBS exempt centers, and proton centers. This this is Astro now. They they're not worried about me, and that's okay. 
Uh, well, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't want to like, it's fair to let them define their goals. Right. And I think one of the issues is, and I'm trying really hard to like set aside my biases, but really we have, we have, um, and I don't know what's official and what's not. I mean, I realize that these could just be these authors speaking their own opinion through this paper, but one of the authors is the director of health policy for Astro. So like, what, what is the position of Astro on freestanding practices? Because I literally just got done lobbying for them, talking about how they need more money. The, the bill that everyone's backing, including Astro, is actually giving a pay raise to freestanding practices uh, for what? So that they can do more long course treatment. I, I don't really understand uh, the deal here. And then I just want to say it again. I have, I have a big problem with the way that the prostate is framed. Um, I, I really, really don't like the idea that we are going to uh, use policy to force people to treat five fractions. If if we're going to become that kind of a medical system, that's fine. I, we, we could be. And there are many medical systems. Like I always talk about the UK. I don't understand it well enough, but it's an easy example of how they're a system that clearly is having throughput issues, like you hear on Twitter all the yeah. time, with the long wait times and the lack of oncologists and all this kind of stuff. Sure, if you want to nationally say five fractions is the way because you can ramp up the number of people you're treating, that is not the case in the United States. We have centers that are sitting around treating nobody, right? And yeah. so when you have a treatment that is a clear increase in toxicity, now whether it's acceptable or not is open to the interpreter, but it's a clear increase in toxicity when you have a choice system, it, it's just a weird paper to write, in my opinion. It's just the whole thing just landed very strange to me. And I think you and I are not alone there. We saw on Twitter, there's a couple of people that are kind of pointing out how strange the paper is, right? I mean, it's just a weird there's vibe. I mean, there's there's so much to this. I, mean, I talked to a friend of the show, Jordan Johnson, a little bit about this. I mean, small centers, we are very, um, things hit us harder, right? Like if suddenly we go from 25 fractions to five fractions for something it will destroy you know it'll destroy small centers of everything changed overnight but a large center has so much more capital so much more other services and like these types of changes don't affect them as much and yeah. i want to make this yeah. yeah i want to make this very blunt for the listeners because i'm not sure everyone realizes this but one major difference in a freestanding center is it is a small business that is owned by somebody and um, it, it's standalone, right? Whereas in hospitals, it is totally true that in, in the average hospital, some departments lose money and some departments make money. And the goal of the hospital administration is to like kind of make it all work out so everyone can stay open. And radiation oncology is often one of those departments that provides a lot of money to the hospital to help support these things. But it's a very different situation fundamentally. And I feel like that gets glossed over a lot, certainly not written in this paper. So when people talk about freestanding centers getting hit hard, it's not like the doctor has to downgrade the car they're driving. It's like their center could close or they have to lay off staff because there's nowhere to take from to try to help when times get tough in radiation oncology. My center, I have plenty of departments in this hospital that, you know, I have ortho, we have places that we could take some money from to help support the oncology service line if there's problems. Um, and, and that's a major difference in the way that these are set up. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if a patient at, you know, a large center chooses surgery instead of radiation, well, the, the hospital is still keeping that money. Yeah. But for me, you know, if I have a patient chooses surgery, then we lost the revenue for that patient. There's, it's not, there's, there's no benefit for the patient getting another treatment. Like it's, it's just, it's zero sum. But for a hospital, it's not zero. It's fine. Like it doesn't matter. You can omit whatever treatment 
or shift it to another modality and it still ends up in the same place. For us, it's keeping the business viable. And does that mean we have to like maximize fractions? No, I wouldn't say that. I, I'm not doing that at my job. Like we I outlawed 10 fractions for bone nets, even though we're low volume. But at the same time, like this is a business for many people and it's a business at many centers, even even non-freestanding. I, I can say like during the pandemic, I was told by my boss that when things got better with the virus, that I had to stop doing the five fraction breast so much at a nonprofit center associated with the Anderson. Um, and this, this is fact. I mean, this is fact. They, these people are also running business. So yeah, it's, it's very, it creates this us versus them. Like it's constantly like that. And this is, to me, this is not just an academic radiation paper. This is an astro paper. This is an astro white paper. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And I, I would just say, and we, you know, what I want to do is I should link because, you know, we've sort of talked around these topics quite a bit this year. I want to link some of Becta's podcasts as well. My, my honest concern, I want to lay it out for people just so it's not misconstrued because that's often the case. My concern genuinely is I do not understand what Astro's position is in terms of payment policy with respect to different sites and with respect to different modalities. I just don't get it because if you go to some of these public facing communication pieces. So things like the Rocker FAQ, things like when Jeff Mahalski went to Congress or went to a panel and gave a testimony to our government about access and rural radiation oncology and things like that. We have multiple people from this organization speaking on behalf of the organization that don't line up, right? And that's what my issue is. So it's like, again, I, I just spent time lobbying with collective radiation oncologists, including some from Astro, to help, uh, you know, to help freestanding practices. And then I turn around and read this paper. So I just, I don't get it. I suspect that one of the challenges in articulating the goals is that they may not be clear internally, or they may be uncomfortable to say. And, and that probably is one of the biggest barriers, I think. But we can just leave it at that. That's just me hypothesizing. I have no idea what the actual goals are, what the barriers are internally to communicate this more clearly. Can I say one more quick thing? If yeah. I was a policy researcher, and there are people that have made a career of this, this is really frustrating. I mean, that limitations paragraph I don't know if people are just copying and pasting it now, but they basically blow past all the problems with this that you pointed out and don't acknowledge them. And they are major, major issues. I mean, they even say things like lack of clinical variables and, and inability to discern intent. I mean, like why even do it, right? If you don't trust the data, why are you putting it out there? And then throwing a very couple sentences on the end for limitations, kind of, that's kind of tough. For no, um, if yeah. I was an editor, honestly, like, Again, it's not the authors. I, I don't blame the authors for this. Some of my friends, like they, people are doing good work. There's a resident involved. The data itself, like this is interesting stuff to think about. Maybe blog it, maybe send it to Mark's story. Um, but as a paper, if your primary question is, is short course radiation therapy cheaper than long course? And you answer that question with this. I I wouldn't want revisions on this. Like just, just try again. Like, like yeah. we know that. This is not this is not groundbreaking, the the word uh, du jour of our our field. Um, this is not groundbreaking in any way. This is not adding anything interesting or innovative. Um, and again, I don't I don't fault authors. They submitted it, and editors and reviewers in the journal are there to help you make a good finished product. And they they failed. I mean, look at that table. Look at the yeah. data. 
These authors are quite experienced in this topic. I wish we just had some more normal discussion as opposed to stuff like this. That's all I would say. I, I don't blame anyone either. This is just frustrating the way that this is playing out. Yeah. All right, man. Well, have a good rest of the day. Thanks for letting me fired up. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you liked our show, please subscribe and leave us a rating. Also, head to photonmedia.org and check out the rest of our content. We hope you're having a great day and look forward to seeing you again soon.